where I was, and I'll, I'll get to my sermon at some point. But as I, with Brother Marty and Sister Raynell, as you begin to sing that song, and y'all can go, um, as you begin to sing that song, and uh, we, I begin to think about what God had done in my life. And I can remember a point that that's looking at potential, and you weren't looking at me. Talking about, man, they're going to be somebody. Wasn't anybody talking about what God was going to do in my life. They're talking about, man, that's a mess right there. And I, I look back at those days now, and I can see some points where God intervened. Some places where maybe, as we heard a few weeks ago in anniversary services, some, I can see some what could have been now that God was keeping me from so much worse than I got myself into. And I can see some has-beens where God reached and said, right here, he did something. I guess have-beens, not has-beens. I can see some places where God worked. And at this point, he touched. And at this point, he moved. And at this place, I can see where he met me there. And we're going to talk a little bit this morning about looking at some of those points and what we do when we come to them. In the Old Testament, they had a thing they would do when God did something. Israelites, they they crossed the river Jordan. They're headed into, they crossed the river and they're headed into Jericho. They're getting ready to go, they think they're getting ready to go fight. What they don't know is they're getting ready to go for a long walk. I feel like all the Israelites were skinny after 40 years of walking around the desert and then a whole week of just nothing. But man, them priests, they had to have been in good shape. All they did all week was just go walk around that city. I don't want to spend a whole week walking all around Ken and all circling the town. I guess if God tells me to, I would, but I'd sure like, I'll drive around it and pray for it. I try to do that every, every now and then. My, my kids hate it. I, don't, I won't go the same way anywhere twice hardly. And poor Braden, I pick him up every day from school and we take a different route. And Votek isn't all that far from here. But, but we've taken like 356 different routes from Votek to KCA. And I try to see my way around. And if I've got to go somewhere, maybe I'll drive around and pray for it. But they was walking all around it, Sister Michan. All week. And in the last day of the week, they got the whole, the whole congregation got together. Everybody come together and they walked around it. But before they did that, before they did all their walking, they, they crossed the river and they get across the river and they stopped and they did something. They took a bunch of rocks and they piled them up. They made something so that when they went by it later, they could remember what God had done. We find that any time God was doing something, they were remembering something, they were celebrating something, they were worshiping God for something. Any time they were expecting God to do something even, they built an altar. And I want to talk for a few moments because what I really saw this morning I'm probably getting ahead of my notes here, but what I really saw this morning as we began to sing that, he saw not what I was. But he saw, Jerry, he saw what he could make out of me. Not what I could make out of me, but what he could make out of me. What I really saw when I saw some faces begin to look up, I saw some hands begin to reach up as some memories there came across some faces. What I saw was some altars. Some places that we said, hey, I remember what God did and because of what he did, I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to worship him. We're going to look at a place that a few altars were made. I'm going to start out in the book of 2 Samuel and I'm not sure where we'll get to this morning and I'm okay with that. But in 2 Samuel, the 6th chapter, 
I'm going to start reading with verse 12. And you don't have to stand because I've got, we're reading through like 10 verses. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom, and all that pertaineth unto him, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so, when they that bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, six steps, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings and David danced before the Lord with all his might and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michelle, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, in his place, in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it, and David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well as to the women as the men, every one a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine, so that all the people departed, everyone to his house. And David returned to bless his household, and Michelle, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet King David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. He told her husband, King David, you looked like a fool today. You're out there dancing before the ark of the God. You're the king. You're supposed to look regal, and here you're out there making a fool of yourself. And David said unto Michelle, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house. She says, you think you're somebody because of who your daddy was, but before your daddy ever chose me, God chose me. I was just a shepherd boy in a field. He's remembering where he was when God came to him. Says he, appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord and over Israel. Therefore, I will play before the Lord. He says, I've got my harp. I've got my instrument here in my worship. I've got my hands and my voice and I can dance before God. And because of where he's brought me from and because of what he did in my life, I don't really care, Michelle, how you think I look because today I'm going to worship God. I don't really care what it looks like or if there's time or if it takes me a long time to get somewhere because God's done something in my life. He says, I will yet be more vile than this. He says, you think that I made a fool of myself today? Wait till tomorrow. He says, you think I look dumb today out there? Guess what? I'm going to worship him more. I'm going to give more than what I've given. I'm going to dance more than I've danced. I'm going to sacrifice more than I've sacrificed. He says, the rest of my life, I'm going to keep building altars. Because look what God has done. He said, I will be more vile than thus and will be base in my own sight. He said, I'm going to make myself till I am nothing in my own sight. And of the maiden servants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore, Michelle, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. Because of her bitterness, she was barren. And that's a whole other sermon for another day. But David, imagine they're bringing home the ark. And every six paces. This is one of my favorite stories. In fact, I've mentioned portions of it last week. Earlier in the story, the ark had been taken. 
The Israelites did not have the ark. It was in the enemy's camp in their city. In fact, the enemies took the ark of God. They said, wait a minute. These Israelites, every time they carry this thing, they whoop up on us. So I don't know what's in that box, but I want it. So they take this box, this ark of the covenant, and they carry it off. The Israelites don't have it anymore. They had lost the place of priority they had given it, and they weren't protecting their covenant. And their covenant was carried off, and it was placed beside the god Dagon that the Philistines had made. And they come in, and Dagon done fell over and broke his face because what they had built had no power next to the king of kings, the lord of lords. They, uh, they come in, and Dagon's fell down, and they try to put him back up. They're having problems here. Finally, they're like, okay, this thing ain't this box don't do for us what it did for you. If you could just come get your box, we'd be real excited about it. So they come and get it, but they're not moving it properly. They're not properly ushering in the presence of the Lord. They're trying to look at something that is magnificent and treat it like a piece of cargo. And so it has to be stopped for a while. Man's life is lost. It's placed there at Obadiah's house. And, oh, Obadiah, you're the lucky guy. He just happened to be at the place where all of a sudden they had to stop and figure some stuff out. So the Ark of the Covenant gets placed at his house. And I wonder the results. All we hear here is that everything was going good for him. But I wish I had some depth to the story of what all happened at the house of Obadiah. I feel like probably all his cows had twins and all his chickens laid two eggs every day and everything he had probably went pretty good. His wife probably had octuplets next month. I mean, everything's going good. He's, everything he's got becoming magnificent. I feel like everybody else around town's like, have you seen what went on at Obadiah's house since we dropped the ark off there? Can we drag that thing over to my house for a little while? The next guy said, well, you can drag it over there. I ain't touching it. I saw what happened to the last guy that touched the thing. He fell over dead. But David realizes that it's not just something to be carried around. Somewhere between the initial moving of the ark and picking the ark up from the house of Obadiah, some research was done. Some thought was put into how we move the ark of the covenant, and they begin to dig, and they see that it's to be put some poles through the side and carried. You don't put it on a wagon. You, you carry it with some priests. So they get some poles, and they run through the side, and the priests pick it up, and, and David begins to realize what it really is that he's bringing home. And it's at this point in the story that we're really picking up today and focusing on is David understands, hey, what we're doing here is not just moving a box that's real pretty and covered in gold back to the, to the city, but what we're doing is we're bringing God back into the tabernacle. What we're doing is we've got the presence of God and we're, we're ushering it back into the city and that's not something that we do lightly, not something that we do just because we've got to get this box home but what we're doing here is we're, we're getting the literal place where God lives. It doesn't like me over there. We're getting the place where God lives and we are bringing him back into the tabernacle where he should be. So David says we're going to do a little something here. And I, I've always looked at this. They go six paces. One, two, three, four, five, six. From like the piano to here, they're going to sacrifice. And then one, two, 
three, four, five, six. They're going to sacrifice. I don't think they were real worried about how long it was going to take them to get. Now, I don't. I didn't take the time to look up and see how far it is from Obadiah's house to the place of the tabernacle. That information is probably out there, but I didn't look it up. But even if it was from, I don't know, here to KCA, it was going to take a while. We think, well, they made a sacrifice and then they stopped. They're not stopping there. I think sometimes when we see them making a sacrifice, we're, we're at this place like, okay, so they, they finished the first song of, and then after that first song, they stopped and they clap their hands and they lift their hands. They thank God for 10 seconds and then they can move on to the next song. But no, they stopped and they built an altar. They took a cow, put it on top of that altar and burnt it until there wasn't anything left. Then they moved six steps to the next place of sacrifice. They weren't in a hurry to get anywhere, but they were concerned with making sure that they properly ushered in the presence of God into the place he belonged. We read that here. It says that they had bare the ark of the Lord, had gone six paces. He sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And the whole time, the king, the guy that's supposed to be all respectable and have on his purple robe and his gold crown and sit up in front of everybody on a fancy chair. You know, at the time, kings didn't walk places. Just like the Ark of the Covenant was carried on some poles, the king would have been carried in a fancy golden chair on some poles and some guys would carry him around. That was, because of David's place, his station in life, that was his right. He could have been moved just like that. And David looks and he says, there's no way that I'm going to usher in the presence of God elevating myself to the same place that I am elevating God. I'm not coming in just like him because he is God and I'm not. He says, get rid of my purple robe here. Just get me the old linen ephod. Get me that, that white garment and just let me just wear that. And let me, let me go out in front of this as we bring it in. I want everybody to know how important it is. So instead of me being all regal and carried around, let me just worship God for a minute. I don't think David was up there. One, two, three, four. I know he wasn't because his wife says, you looked like a fool. He's dancing and he's worshiping. and He's going his six paces and they get and they stop. And I don't think he just stopped. It wasn't David's job, or Will. It wasn't David putting the cow up there. It wasn't David making that sacrifice. The priests are doing that. I think the whole time, David, he's worshiping. He's lifting up God. He's letting God know I praise you and I thank you and I, I magnify you, Lord, for everything you've done in my life. Thank you, Lord. I can remember when I was a shepherd boy in a field and you anointed me. I can remember when I fought the lion and you were there for me. I can remember when I fought the bear and you were there for me. God, I remember Goliath and you were there then. I can remember when Saul was chasing me. I can remember when I didn't have a weapon and you provided the sword of Goliath. I can remember when we came back to the camp and my family was gone and my kids were gone and my men wanted to kill me. I can remember when all these things happened, God. And because of those, I'm going to stop every little bit and I'm going to build an altar and I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to worship you because you have done some things in my life. And his wife sits back and says, Oh, look at the king. Look what a fool he's making of himself. Hmm. 
sometimes we we have a task to accomplish or something we've got to do. We've got to get through a service or we've got stuff going on. Pastor generally words it something about the roast being on at home. We heard Wednesday night about prioritizing the worship of God over everything else we've got going on. In fact, we heard it both from Brother Grana and from Braden. And I, I told Alex when we finished that service, I said, well, I said, y'all just set me up because you're just teeing right into what I'm preaching Sunday. We see a cross, and this really all stemmed from a Facebook post I saw a week or two ago. and I won't name who wrote the post, but it was a minister that had made a post He was talking about the revivals that we see sweeping the nation and his concern was not to how great a revival was going on, but his concern was to how that could be used to grow a particular church or an organization or what if this isn't done or that isn't done and really more tearing down this revival than building it up. And I felt as I read that and as I saw that, it wasn't the only such post I've seen. It was the one that struck me the hardest. But as I read that, I I was looking and watching what God's doing across our nation, not through people that have a minister's license, not through people that have a pulpit at a church, not through people that are full-time ministers or been to... through a seminary and got a theological degree or have done this or have done that but through people that are hungry and want to worship Him. People that are willing to stop and say, hey, I know we got a lot going on. I had the thought as I was looking at this, what happens to the grades of a kid that's been at college all week and for the last two weeks hadn't made any classes because they'd been in the chapel? I don't know. I don't care all that much. I'm more excited about what God's doing in their life. Maybe they get the grades, maybe they don't. That doesn't really make all that big a difference. But as I look at that, I, I had the thoughts, and I wonder, there, I bet you there's somebody sitting there saying, oh my, look at all these kids that aren't making it to class, and they haven't gotten anything done, and oh, check mark, check mark, they weren't here today, and they weren't here today, and they weren't here today. And what they should be doing is saying, let me, let me, we don't even need to be in the classroom, let's get down to the chapel. Let's go to this place that God's doing something. And it's not because of any certain thing going on, but because people are hungry and willing to worship. And David kicked off a great time of great prosperity in the kingdom of Israel. A time of, if we were to classify it as we related to the church today, we'd say a time of great revival. Not because David did the kingly things, not because he wore his robe just right or had his crown just right, not even because David, who had killed his ten thousands, went to battle and killed another thousand men, but because David, who had been the king, who was the king, who was the regal one, the high, mighty, lifted up guy, the most important guy in the country, the guy that had killed the ten thousands, the guy that slew Goliath, the guy that was the king of Israel, he said, let me take off my kingly garments for a little while and let me put on some worshiping clothes because what I'm going to do today is I'm not so worried about being king and 
at the rate of six paces and burn a cow. I don't think he was worried about being king tomorrow. Whenever we make it to the tabernacle, whenever everything's done, at that point he'll pick up being king. But today David just wanted to worship. Today David had just come to lift up an almighty God. So every six steps they built an altar. I don't know how all that worked. You think, uh, I, I, I probably am going to do the math this week now that I've thought of it. I don't know, it just says oxen and fatlings. Let's assume it's one cow per every six steps. I'm going to figure out how far it was because I'm curious now and I, I want to do the math and figure out how, let's say every 18, maybe 20 feet. I don't think they were very tall guys, but we'll, we'll say they were all 6'4 and call that 20 feet. If every 20 feet they killed a cow, I wonder how long it took to go. My, my head math is not good enough to know how many 20 feet are in 5,280 feet, but it, it's a lot to go a mile. I wonder if it was 3 miles, 5 miles, 20 miles. He's not worried about getting there so much as he's worried about worshiping. Now, so worried about finishing the task. He, he knows that we're going to get there, and when we get there, we're going to have a party. Mind you, all this is just in preparation for the entire nation to have a party. He says, we get there and we get God into the tabernacle. The presence of God has been ushered back into our nation. So what are we going to do now? It's not business as usual. It's let me give some food to every person so that there can be a feast in every house. Because now that God has come home, we're going to celebrate. Now that God's made it into His place, we're going to celebrate. Elijah faced not just a wife, but a nation that had turned their back on God. David had a nation following him. Elijah, he's kind of on his own. And he comes to that mountain they've got a we're having a chili cook off they had a pray off scheduled this Elijah's doing a spiritual equivalent of my daddy's bigger than your daddy and they get their altars built in the prophets of Baal they, they build the altar and they get the rocks stacked up and the wood stacked up and I have a feeling as they were selecting their wood, they're getting like the driest wood. It's been cured and aged and it's ready. To, you sneeze too hard, dear, and it's going to catch on fire. They got everything ready to go there and they get their sacrifice and they put it on top and nothing's happening. We're in the 18th chapter of 1 Kings if you want to read where I'm paraphrasing. And they go through their... Day and most of the day is gone, and they've gone beyond just getting the sacrifice on the altar and praying to their God. Baal's not answering, so they're starting to harm themselves trying to get him to answer. I am thankful I don't serve a God. I don't want to serve a God that requires me to hurt myself. I want to serve a God that's here to heal me, that loves me, and that cares for me. And the whole time they're going, Elijah's like, huh. boys, go get some water. We're going to dig a trench around my altar here. Let's go ahead and fill that up with water. And while we're at it, let's just go ahead and douse all the wood in water. Let's douse the sacrifice in water. Let's just make sure. I want everybody to know for sure what my God's doing. 
You see, what Elijah knew is that the only thing that would be effective in the place of a backslidden nation was an altar. Elijah knew the only thing that would make a difference beside the idol worship and the backslidden condition of those people was an altar to the Most High God. So he builds that altar and he makes it to be sure that there is no way that anyone would ever doubt what God had done. No one's going to be able to say, well, maybe there was a spark that caught your dry wood. He says, I doused it all in water just to be safe. We get to verse 36 of the 18th chapter. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. They've been at this all day. That Elijah the prophet came near. Said, guys, it's my turn. He said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. We read the story and the prayer there. I don't know what that took, 15 seconds? Maybe 20? Those 62 words... And I didn't count those it's impact that stuck with me from a sermon titled The 62-Word Prayer that I heard the, in about 97, 98. Just kind of stuck. Those 62 words. Elijah says, my God, he didn't need this huge to do. He didn't need me to harm myself. He needed me to put myself before him and put him first. Prophets of Baal are saying, look at all we're doing. Look at what's going on here. But no different than David saying, everybody's looking at me. Let me make myself base. Let me make humble myself before God. That's what David was doing. Elijah says, I'm already humbled. Make sure nobody looks at me. He says, I'm doing this so that they will all know that I've done it at your word, God. I've put all the water on here so that everyone would know it wasn't something I did. I've Got all this here, and I want everyone to know, God, all the people, make sure you know that this is not Elijah, but this is God. That's basically his prayer. God answers with fire from heaven, but what happens is the result of Elijah's altar. It's all the people that say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, and not he is God. He is the God. And the, the, the word the there is pretty important because we're at a time that they had already had the Lord. And in the midst of having the Lord, they went ahead and picked up Baal too. See, the custom of their time was that, I guess as many guys as you could whittle and set on your mantle, you could have that many gods. I mean, I've, I think I want this God today. We'll set him up here. And, okay, I guess I'll carve this guy out. Maybe You know what? These are all these wooden gods I've whittled. We need to step it up. So let's, let's go down to the silversmith. We're going to get a fancy god. That'll be the one we set out when the neighbors are coming over for dinner. He'll be, he'll be our neighbor dinner god. Not our everyday god. they got all these gods. So when they say the Lord, he is 
the God. They're saying, wait a minute, we understand that there's no power in all these other gods. But what I understand here is that the one true God, He answered when no one else could. (coughs) When Baal couldn't do anything, the one true God, He answered. And the same God that answered when Baal was there, and the same God that answered as David began to dance, and he stopped and he built an altar, and he went a little further and he built an altar, that same God is what we felt in this place today. It's that same God, sister, that... He takes my ugly situations and he makes something beautiful out of them. It's that same God that can take the mess that I brought to him and he can say, let me build something useful out of this life because it's not about who I am or what I can do or what I've ever done, but it's about who he is. And I don't ever want to get to a place, Sister Amber, if you come begin to play. I don't ever want to get to a place that I come to service And I go through those motions and I want to make sure that I look just right. I got my suit on just right and I've forgotten my tie today, but I got my tie just right and everything is just so-so and how it's be and that that schedule that I write up and uh, I've wrote down an order that everything should happen and I'm so worried about making sure that we, we get through that schedule so that everything can happen right. I don't ever want to get to the place that that takes precedence over stopping to build some altars. I don't ever want to get to the place that doing church becomes the priority rather than relationship with the master. I don't want to get to the place that I'm here because it's Sunday and that's what I do. I want to be at the place that I'm here because I get one more opportunity to build an altar. Because one more time, I can go a couple more steps. Now we say, well, we still have schedules and we still have these things. Certainly we do. And David still went six steps between each altar. There are still things that have to be done just so that we can keep doing them. If I never remember to take up offering, they're going to shut the lights off. There's some things we just have to do. But in the midst of every six steps in the midst of still trying to get there. David saw the importance of stopping in the midst of the process to build some altars. This morning as they begin to play, I understand we've got places to be, stuff to do. Probably each of us has something we're planning to do this afternoon. But more important than whatever you got planned this afternoon is let's take some time this morning. I, I want to take some time and build an altar. And I don't want to get to a place today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year where I get so caught up with the rut of everything that has to happen that I forget to build the altars. I'm not too worried if somebody says you look goofy. Well, I've looked goofy all my life. That's probably not getting better anytime soon. But what I want to do is worship Him. I can take some time and I can look back and see where he picked me up and I can build an altar. And I can take some time and look at what I'm facing and thank him that I don't have to face tomorrow alone and I can build another altar. And maybe I'm on a mountaintop and maybe I'm on a valley, but in either place, regardless of my location in life, I think it's time this morning 
to stop and to build an altar. It's time this morning to stop and give him a little worship and give him a little praise. Time to stop and build that relationship with him. So this morning, I'm done as I begin to play. Please, these altars are open. You're welcome to come front. You can find a place anywhere in this sanctuary. But as we play and as we sing this morning, I want to take a moment to let my heartbeat be, Lord God, I praise you and I thank you for all you've done in my life. To let my what occupies my heart and what I focus on right now not be, what am I going to eat or how am I going to get this done or I have to go to work tomorrow. But let my heartbeat right now be, Lord, just let me praise you. This morning, let's take some time. Let's build an altar.